I think the Bible is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And by the way, I'm not really a gigantic fan of puzzles. I kind of am because there's something seriously satisfying about putting pieces together. And obviously, when you put the whole outside frame, that's easy because there's always the flat piece. So it's, you know, once you get all the flat pieces together and the corners, you can somewhat get those together pretty easy. But there are some pretty tricky puzzles out there. Some of them where one area has like a lot of, you know, red and blue in it. And then this area over here is a whole different object and it's got red and blue in it too. So you're working with this piece over here, but it really fits over there. And I get frustrated pretty fast. And, you know, I'm guessing, you know, if it isn't a kid's puzzle, it's probably not going to get fully put together in my house. And somehow I'm going to lose pieces and it's tricky. I think the Bible is a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. It's tricky. And there are a lot of pieces that fit together and are perfectly put together and yeah this part over here is so much like this part over there and that is quite on purpose and God is this amazing God who wants us to see the final puzzle piece or puzzle all put together all the pieces in place and he probably thought you know I'll make it really easy and somehow we've just managed to make it really hard. That was the scriptures for this week. It was a puzzle that I needed to put together that spelled out a word and I couldn't figure it out and God revealed it to me as I continued to look hard at it. I feel like traffic is a little bit crazy tonight. It's evening when I'm recording this and a car just went by like peeling by and it was crazy. So I had to start recording over, but it's probably because I was rambling about crazy people who say God revealed this to them. I think it does sound a little crazy, but our God is a communicator and so awesome that he utilizes so many things to communicate to us. And when we are in relationship with him, like constantly praying and asking him to talk to us, he will. But not always in our own timing, P.S., so the scriptures for the third week of Lent were from Ezekiel 33, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and Luke chapter 13. And so I read them all, and the one that spoke the most to me seemed to be 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. And so... I'm going to read it 
to you first in the new international version. So that's probably the most popular version of the Bible, probably the one that was, or, or the one that is probably most recited and most used at churches and just by nature, the most popular. However, there are lots of versions, and I think the cool part about reading the Bible is sometimes another translation speaks to us a little bit more. They all should give the same overall meaning, but somehow different words connect us and help us understand. So here's the verses that I chose for this week. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's a whole, whole lot in there, and it wasn't really resonating with me when I read it and reread it. So then I went to the message. Eugene Peterson took the Bible and translated it in how he might speak to somebody in conversation. So <clears throat> he says, remember our history, friends. And he warned, all our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And, the rock, and that rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. 
most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we may never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did, and we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First, the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day, we must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. They are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. And And our positions in this story are parallel. They are at the beginning, we are at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So in reading the message that started the frame of this puzzle and it got better. When I read the message and it spoke that there was this history of people just choosing bad things and being held accountable for it, and then that history easily can repeat itself, that there are warning markers like danger in our history books, and they're written down so that we don't repeat the mistakes. And clearly we do. The interesting part is, in the message, it points out that God warns us, like, don't be naive and self-confident. Like, you're not exempt. We could easily fall on our face. So forget about self-confidence. Cultivate God confidence. And I loved that. The, the idea of, you know, there's so many self-help books out there, and there's so many ways to figure out how to get to the top or, you know, reach your dreams or all those things. And they're not, that's not such a bad thing when you have a goal that you're reaching for. Just be careful to put all your chips on the square that says, I can do it by myself, that I have what it takes to do this on my own because we don't on our own we are going to fall on our face when we plug into god confidence or even better like the message says when we cultivate god confidence 
then we have what it takes because it is God in us that gives us the self-confidence, that gives us the courage and the motivation to move forward. And so that really resonated with me as it then started talking about no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. Like, there's all kinds of temptations in life, but we're not the only ones who've ever been tempted by that particular thing. In fact, Jesus himself was tempted with all kinds of temptation and overcame them sinlessly. It goes on to say, all you need to do is remember that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit and he'll always be there to help you come through it. In that particular part, I liked the NIV a little bit better. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So just good to know that you're not alone, right? God is faithful. Like sometimes we think about us being faithful to God, but do you ever ponder God being faithful to you? Because in the end, God is the only one that is 100% faithful to us. So important to put all your chips on the God square because God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So here's the deal, is that God isn't tempting you. And no matter what force of nature or human out there that is tempting you, you have a choice. And our choice is to know that God will provide the way of escape. So when you are tempted by a bag of M&Ms that are truly designed for your grandchildren, that may or not be my situation in my house. It's not that that temptation is so beyond what I can control in my ability. But if I would stop and say, boy, I'm really tempted by this chocolate tonight. And I'm trying really hard to, you know, just eat less sugar and be a little bit more healthy. God, you always provide a way of escape so that I'm not tempted. And if I just stopped and thought about that, I'd probably walk away from the chocolate. You know, there's always that opportunity that yes, you are in this interesting situation, but the choice becomes how do I cope and handle it? And knowing the answer is God will provide an escape. And I think if you just say, God provide the escape, 
He will. And I'm guessing even when you just think about it, like there's your escape right there. Like you already know that God is there and he is present with you. So there is a few more of these verses that I want to sort of um, take apart and compare. And then also how the puzzle started to get put together through some of the other scriptures that are offered this week and in listening to Pastor Brad's sermon. Yep, Pastor Brad, the one that I teased so much last week, came through with a really good sermon and that's how my puzzle piece came together. So hang in there with me. I'm going to throw in a quick commercial here. Okay, we're back. And thank you for listening to that. So at this point of sort of like doing my research and my homework for the podcast, I'm not really looking at at it as a puzzle at this moment. But if I were, I would say that I had a little bit of direction as to what this puzzle was going to look like. And I didn't know that it was going to actually spell out a word. So I had some thoughts, like the God confidence thing that I was going to go with. And then I went to church and I actually listened to the sermon twice because I was cleaning up my home office and listening to it on Saturday night. And then I went to church on Sunday. And as the Old Testament was read, and then the epistle was read, the epistle is what I chose, which is the first Corinthians 10, one through 13. Like I felt like all of a sudden the NIV version was making good sense to me. And I underlined the following words, like, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The rock that followed them, the rock was Christ. The place as an example for us, I underlined it, underlined it. Oh my gosh, that is nothing but embarrassing that I said underlined it. And I'm pretty sure it's because somebody was reading this scripture and I was listening and they said idolater instead of idolater and I busted a gut. How rude am I? I know I'm totally admitting it and it's funny slash rude and I just said underlined it. So yeah, joke's on me. But come on, it is kind of funny when somebody just messes up. I often call that Cirque de Soleil in your mouth because have you ever seen Cirque de Soleil? Like they're doing crazy flips and all this craziness is happening. Yeah, sometimes that just happens right in your mouth. Anyways, um, but I think I underlined some of the sins, sexual immorality, putting Christ to the test, and grumbling. We as humans have the 
sinful nature to even prioritize sin. And somehow we say, ooh, sexual immorality, that's bad. Putting Christ to the test, that's bad. Grumbling, yeah, that's bad. But doesn't, you know, everybody grumbles, right? Well, the minute you do one of those things, it doesn't seem nearly as bad as somebody else who is doing something you're not doing, right? The next thing I underlined was these things happened to them as examples, but they were written down for our instruction. There's the key. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because we're going to fall. And that's the whole pride comes before a fall. Oh, yeah, you're thinking, you know, I can read scripture better than that person. And then you say underlined it. Yep, that's pride coming before a fall. I also underlined it. No temptation has overtaken you. God is faithful. Beyond your ability will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. All of a sudden, all of those things started falling into place and the puzzle was just coming together. And then pastor started preaching on Luke 13, 1 through 9. But before I tell you about that, I want to tell you a little bit about Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was talking about people who are wicked and people who are righteous. And when the wicked repent of their wickedness, they're going to be forgiven. But when a righteous person sins, they're held accountable for their sin. Clearly, if they repent, they will get forgiveness too. The point being that just because they have done good doesn't mean they can do bad and have the good negate the bad. Sin is sin is sin, and we are all accountable for it. So when a bad person repents, they get forgiveness. When a good, good person sins, they are held accountable. Everybody who repents is going to be forgiven because God is a God of grace and mercy, and that is available for all. Super important, right? So now you get to the gospel, and Jesus is talking about um, some things that have happened where, you know, there was sinful things happen and then bad things happen to good people and blah, 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 or bad things happen to bad people. And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent 
you will all likewise perish. The whole point being is that sin is sin is sin. Everybody's held accountable. Sin separates us from God. Therefore, our sinfulness prevents us from being with God. Thank you, Jesus, for canceling out our sin so that we can be with Jesus. And it takes the repentance for us to be saved. It's there. It's a gift. It's free. You just have to open it and utilize it, right? And so repent sounds like just asking for forgiveness. And I think most of the time when you say to somebody, what does repent mean? They will say it means to be sorry for your sins. And there is definite truth to that. Pastor titled his sermon, Turn to Life. And what I loved is as he was sharing that Jesus was saying like, hey, y'all are sinners. And the only way to get around that is to repent and know that Jesus is your savior. So he's telling us to repent and repent really means to turn away from something, to turn away from that sin that's happening. And it's literally a change of spirit. You are physically changed. I, that probably is too strong. But that change of spirit happens internally. And I guess that's why I say it's, you know, there is a physical. So when you turn away from something and you walk away from that temptation, there is the repentance there. And, and you're not necessarily asking for forgiveness, but you kind of are. It, it's saying, I recognize this as a problem and I will turn away from it. And I love that there's a change of spirit. It's similar. Repentance is similar to gratitude. How weird is that? But what I mean is when you start thanking God and listing the things to be grateful for, there's a change in your spirit. There's a change in your attitude. That's the similarity that I'm making. And so that started making total sense to me. And then I started putting puzzle pieces together and words, the words started to be revealed. And it's interesting because I wrote notes during pastor's sermon and some of them were things that he said and some of them were things that I just wrote down like history repeats itself. Old Testament, New Testament, people were still making these same mistakes and and it, it basically warned us like, 
hey, you think these people were were bad? Like, be careful because you're not better. And that is so much true. And when we actively repent, we are turning away from the sinfulness or turning away from the circumstance and we're turning to God. That right there is the point that there are moments where we feel helpless. And you might even think, I don't know, not my fault for what's happening in the Ukraine. How am I going to help that? I have no power, no authority, no physical means or financial means to solve that problem. How do I repent? But when we turn away from the sinfulness and turn to God, now there is hope. And when I'm turning to God, maybe active repentance looks like prayer, looks like reading the Bible, looks like coming together in church and fellowship, um, investing what you can. Maybe those are ways that we turn to God. And I was speaking today to an art teacher who I love. Um, her name is Angie and she's amazing. And we were talking about like when an art class paints sunflowers to bring awareness to Ukraine, does that make a difference? And the answer is yes it does make a difference. Maybe it doesn't help clean up apartments that have been bombed and, you know, the devastation that happens. But maybe each of those moments of awareness, each of those prayers that we offer, the $5 that we donate to an organization like Red Cross or, you know, many Christian organizations. Those are things that are small, that build, and you might be like, if you put your hands far away from each other and like, you know, there's this side and then the, um, the, the right side and the left side. And if you say, on the left side is the smallest thing I can do. And on the right side is actively being able to be there and physically hands-on help fix something. There's all the things in the middle that takes us from the left side to the right side. And, and that has nothing to do with political left and right. That's just me holding up my left and right hand and creating this gap in the gap of I can only do this, which feels like nothing. And I can do something physical to help. All of that gap is filled by the progression of all the little things that lead people to be inspired and to be able to give what they can. And some people have more to give. And so my real point is 
when we pray, when we turn to God, as much as that seems like a little thing, it turns into an actionable thing that gives us the word that will be spelled out in this puzzle. So I was getting pretty excited in church because I'm writing all these notes and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is now making sense. This is where that God confidence comes because we can repent and turn to God. And now Jesus is our roadmap. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is actual scripture. I believe it's in John. I probably should have looked it up, but I didn't. And so, and the crazy part is I saw my sister Susie, she was working today and we were chit-chatting and she was like, you know, I was looking at a devotion and there it was, the way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that I was going to use that in this. And I'm like, how amazing is that? Like God just fits those puzzle pieces together so that my piece fits Susie's piece and it fits Leah's piece and Val's piece and Roger's piece and Judy's piece and all the people who are listening, Jenny's piece and Phyllis and Grace, like all of them. And it's awesome. And Bob, your piece and anybody else who is listening, your piece, our puzzle is fitting together. And I love that. I also loved that at this particular service, our friend Nancy brought Zeke with her. And Zeke is a therapy dog. And he is one of those comfort dogs that is a therapy dog. So he's not like leading her because she's disabled or blind or anything like that. She, Zeke is a dog that is trained to give people comfort. And it was cute because as I was sitting in the very back of the church, mostly because I brought a drink into the church. No, not an alcoholic drink for heaven's sakes. That would be scandalous. Um, but I did bring a beverage in church and I felt, a I mean, people do it. Sometimes people bring coffee in, sometimes people bring water in, but I just felt a little irreverent. And so I sat in the back, but there I could see that Zeke was sitting next to Nancy and Zeke's a pretty big dog and Nancy's a pretty tiny person. And all of a sudden Zeke got up and he kind of wanted to move around and his tail was sort of swishing by Larry's head, which was hilarious because Larry wouldn't care. He's a good guy. And it was just making me giggle. And I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like looking at a therapy dog changes our thinking, looking at puppies, looking at babies, watching somebody hug somebody. There are things that we see that changes our thinking. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's what happens when we turn to God. And so my brain never originally went to repentance because it didn't really talk so much about the repentance in 1 Corinthians, 
But then when pastors spoke of it, the grace and mercy that was in 1 Corinthians and talking about how God is there when we're tempted and when that sin is before us and he's there to provide an escape and we're going to miss it and we're going to be tempted and fall into temptation and he knows it. it's probably why he also spelled it right out in the Lord's Prayer and deliver us from e- how does that go I'm so sure I say the Lord's Prayer all the time um, and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil wow you take it out of context and it's hard to say it but there you go he's like constantly saying i'm here i'm the truth i am the way i am your life and i will change your thinking i will change your spirit turn to me and so the message the word all of a sudden came to me And the word was hope in this messed up, crazy, COVID, war-stricken, high gasoline prices, unrest, and lots of concern out there for so many things. We have hope. I hope you all, speaking of hope, I hope you all know that I think I'm funny because when I am recording, recording this, my brain is going in a thousand directions. So I apologize that this is like listening to somebody babble, but you listen. And for that, I love you. Thank you, everybody. When I record it, I typically record in shorter sections because It's easier to edit that way because I don't edit clearly and my mouth gets really dry too. So sometimes you can totally tell, but that's why I do short little sections. When I do a short section, I typically type in what number of the series that I'm in. And by the way, this is the 41st episode I have created. I'm hoping that when I get to episode um, 52, it really is the at the year mark because it should be because there's 52 weeks in a year. And somehow I have a feeling that I've messed up the number system because numbers really aren't my jam. However, it's around 41. Okay. And I always title it. And so like the segment before the last one I titled underlined it because clearly that was funny. This time, what I just spoke of, I was like, um, hope is the word. And then I couldn't help but think of Greece is the word because that's just funny. How does my brain correlate these things? But hope is the word. And I like now wish that Frankie Avalon would do a whole parody on Greece with hope is the word. I can't sing, so I'm not even going to try, but I just did and it was embarrassing. So I will not do it again. 
with hope when the word was revealed to me and it made sense. I never really thought of repentance and hope. And that's just silly because of course, when you repent, there's hope because there's grace, there's mercy, there's perfection, there's there's the visual of a heart that has, if you th- look at your heart as like this beautiful room of white walls that are bright and clean, and now you just throw rotten food and mud and dirt and slime and graffiti and all kinds of ugliness on it. And now you wash that all clean. Like, wow, that's hope. Hope that somebody can come in and take all that ugliness away. And the crazy part is, is after I write down hope, then, you know, the sermon has concluded and what's next but communion and the hope that's found in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for all of us, not just churchgoers, not just people who are super geek Bible readers or people who just listen to this podcast or people who are exactly like me. No, it is for all. And after, after we have communion, then the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it was done by the Handbell Choir. So like big shout out to Jamie and crew for the Handbell Choir. It's a party of six and they're unreal good. It's just beautiful. I never thought I would be a Handbell Choir fan, but it was beautiful. And Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's right in there. God is who is faithful will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. We need to simply turn to God and he will provide the way of escape. When we are concerned about what's happening in the world, repent and turn to God. Like, God, I'm not perfect, and I'm concerned at how the world is so imperfect. I want to turn to you and make a difference. Hope is a message we all needed to hear. I needed to hear it, and I know a lot of you who are listening need so desperately to know that there's hope. Hope for our world, hope for what's happening in your life, whether it's struggles with relationships or struggles to know what's next in your life or struggles with work or finances or mental health issues or addiction issues or anything, sickness, struggles, you know, things that are just hard to overcome, 
there is hope. We simply just need to turn to God. And it's harder than it's, it's so easy it's hard. I'm going to put it that way because it's so easy to simply say, God help me. To, to turn your thoughts and your prayers to a God who created you in his image and who looks down every day and is so in love with you. But you got to do it. You have got to look in his direction to see the hope and to have that turn of direction change your spirit and when you do you will feel lighter and cleaner and fresh and you will feel the hope that actually sounded like you took a shower you will feel lighter cleaner and fresh well it is it is God showering you with the hope of Jesus Christ So go in that hope. And it's okay if you are just praying for Ukraine. It's okay if you are just posting awareness. It's okay that you are doing whatever it is you can to help solve any problem that's out there. Any way that you can reach out to somebody. Keep doing it. Because you may be showing somebody else the hope that Jesus Christ has given us. See you next week.